at Henry's Uncle as a 501c3 nonprofit. We rely on your donations. Any amount helps, $1, $5, $10, whatever it may be. If you would like to donate, hit up our Patreon account, Henry's Uncle, or go to henrysuncle.org and uh, you can donate through there. Again, any amount helps and we truly appreciate your support. On today's show, we have Lily Keefley. Uh, she works at Vibrant Future, where she plays an active role in spreading awareness to kids and teenagers about drug addiction, and also gives some uh, helpful advice to parents about how to navigate those difficult conversations. Take a listen. Hey, Lily. Hey. How's it going today? So good. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, happy um, to. Yeah, so uh, I know one of our colleagues uh, met you a couple weeks, or no, well, uh, met you at Advocacy Day in February. Yes. And uh, we were going to have the podcast down there, but uh, you had a couple other items you had attended to. Um, so thank you for coming on. Yeah. Um, yeah, looking forward to talk about policy and how you got into this whole realm um, and your background, all that kind of stuff. So um so I know we were, you know, as we were talking before the podcast, uh, you know, tell us how, you know, where, where you work now, how you kind of got into the realm of work you, you're into now, what drives you, um, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So right now I work for a coalition in Clackamas County that is called Vibrant Future. And basically it's been around for about nine years where you're funded through a mix of federal and county level and private donations. And we work in schools and with community partners to help. Uh, create systems level change that reduces substance abuse among youth in North Clackamas. And excitingly, we just got funding to expand out into East Multnomah County. So um, Gresham Barlow, that sort of area with a special focus on Latinx uh, communities. So we just hired two new staff members and we're getting going on coalition work out there as well. So exciting That's times. exciting. Uh, what drove you to this kind of work? Uh, I have a background in policy. I did my bachelor's in pre-law and international relations and always really liked kind of seeing how these words become reality. And I was, I'm a Portland native, grew up here, 11th generation Oregonian, um, went to be high school. That is unheard of now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I'm, one of, I'm a rare breed these days. Um, yeah, I went to Beaverton High School, and while I was uh, in high school, I worked on Lines for Life for three years on the youth line, and that really gave me a taste for creating change and how policies can shape those changes. Then after college, I moved back to the States and ended up meeting up with a friend of mine who works for the coalition as well, and she said, hey, we need a policy person. So I rocked and rolled, and two weeks <laughs> later, I was hired and been working on whole bunch of stuff for them ever since. So uh, on a like day-to-day -day basis, like what is, what do you do? Because um, I also want to dive into what you just mentioned about working with uh, teenagers and younger students as well. Um, and what's, you know, what's working, what isn't working. But uh, on a day-to-day -day basis as a policy advisor, what are you kind of working on in terms of policy in Oregon? Totally. Um, so as I'm sure you're familiar, nonprofits, you do a little bit of everything. So my days end up being super varied. Um, like yesterday, I presented at a, a countywide task force on uh, prescription drug overdoses. The day before that, I was up until 11 o'clock writing a grant application. <laughs> so it, it does depend day to day. Sure. But bulk of my work is around um, working in schools. So we have connections with quite a few schools in North Clackamas. And we do classroom presentations twice a year. 
And then we also work with a unity club, which is like a GSA. And that uh, that's our kind of youth group that we use to not mm-hmm. only kind of gauge opinion, but also to provide alternate activities um, for them to be at after school. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. Um, and, you know, thanks for bringing that up again in terms of um, uh, what you do in the schools. Because uh, I was just reading an article this past week. Uh, I I think it was K2, the local news channel here. I think they were highlighting how, um, uh, I think the Gresham and Barlow schools, how they are integrating uh, substance abuse counselors mm-hmm. uh, into their schools to help with uh, you know teenagers. And so I kind of want to talk to you more about that and what those presentations look like. Um, you know, is it just high schools? Does it go to the grade school, middle school level? Um, and and what kind of focus you you teach to these kids? Yeah, so we work mostly in high schools. Um, We don't do a lot of work in elementary school. Um, We find that high school is when they're mature enough to really um, understand the information that we're giving them. Mm -hmm. But uh, the days of dare are gone, at least in North Clackamas, thank goodness. Um, So we teach um, substance abuse prevention basically based on sort of a brain approach. Mm -hmm. So instead of don't do drugs or they'll kill you, you know, in the finger wagging it's more of like this is what alcohol does to your brain and this is Mm -hmm. what pruning is and this is how if you drink too much this is what changes are going to happen in your brain and kind of leaving it to be their choice because at the end of the day when you have a kid who's 15 16 17 like you can't really make them do anything like you can but that's not really how you actually get people (laughs) to do stuff and so we kind of lay it out as like Yeah, we know that you guys, some of you will probably use this stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, but we want you to be informed. We want you to be safe. It's another big part of our um, curriculum is just making sure that people know how to stay safe if they do choose to use. Um, And that kind of fits into the whole harm reduction ethos that you guys have touched on on this podcast before. Um, But we try and bring that into the schools and striking the balance between, you know, saying we know you're going to do this and also the balance of we really don't want you to do this can be really hard sometimes but it's something we try and straddle and at the end of the day we just want kids to be safe we want to see reduction in fatalities obviously Mm -hmm. and we want to see a reduction in the number of kids that are getting hooked earlier yeah because if you start using every year you start using under 18 um it quadruples your risk i believe so the earlier you start the more likely Mm -hmm. you are to become addicted later on as I'm sure you guys have experienced in your own lives. Um, yeah, people who start when they're really, really <laughs> young, like 10, 11, 12, yeah. those are the folks that tend to have long-term problems. So a big part of our messaging is just delay, 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 sure. hold off. No, that makes sense. And and so when you talk to these teenagers and, and give this advice, um, and I don't mean to criticize, because like when you, like when I hear like, you know, what it does to your brain and stuff for me. Like I go back to my teenage days and just kind of roll my eyes, like going, you know, I, what the, what the hell does that mean? Um, so, you know, and you also touched on harm reduction real quick. So does that mean like, Hey, we know you're going to use. And if you, so if you go out and drink, make sure you hydrate because you know, is it stuff like that or is it more on the scientific side? It's a little more on the scientific side. And luckily we don't say, you know, we know you're going to use, we say yeah. you may, may you, know, yeah. you may end up doing this. Um, and if you do choose to do that, then, you know, find a sober person to drive you home, mm-hmm. you know, have a trusted adult you can call yeah. if you end up somewhere you don't feel safe, 
you know, test, if you're going to take street drugs, test those drugs beforehand mm-hmm. and hear resources. Okay. Yeah. So it's more, more on the, like, we don't want you to die. Yeah side what, of things. What, what would you say is the response that you get from the, the kids when you tell them all this information? Uh, a lot of them tune it out. I mean, it's health class, you know, and a lot of them are, you know, trying to make fun of it. And sure. that's just high schoolers. <laughs> yeah. You just get used to that. My mom teaches middle school, so I've been around middle schoolers my whole life. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I understand this. Um, but a lot of them actually find it pretty helpful. And especially... Yeah. You know, kids that are a little bit more engaged with the science of it, mm-hmm. they usually have really good questions. And um, we also ask them a lot of questions as well. So we try and have it be less of a presentation, more of a dialogue. So asking them, like, what do you guys know about vaping? Like, do you guys think it's safe? Like, you know, what does the science say? Like, yeah. we don't want to just be preaching up there. We want to have a conversation and see where their knowledge gaps are so that we can help fill them with actual science instead of Internet, whatever. Yeah. No, that's great because I remember, you know, in high school, like, we just kind of get talked to. Yeah. And when you get talked to, you just kind of tune out and going, okay, you know, whatever. You know, the high school day is like, yeah. you know, you just tune most of this stuff out anyway. So... Do you find the kids who are, and I don't know if you have this data, but do you find the kids who um, are more engaging in these conversations uh, come from a background um, where their parents or family members or friends may have an issue? Uh, We do have kids sometimes come up to us after and self-disclose that sort Mm -hmm. of information. Unfortunately, I wish our data collection was that good. That would be so amazing, but it it just isn't. We just can't get it quite down to that micro level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've had kids come up to me after presentations and be like, Hey, you know, when the whole vaping scare was going on really badly back in the winter time, I had a student come up to me and say like, my mom uses one of these, like, what do I do? And I was like, you know, there's a place you can go get it tested. And like, you know, it seems to be this one chemical and make sure to check the labels and like, make sure it's mm-hmm. legit. And this is how you tell if it's legit or not. And yeah. Just kind of gave some practical advice. Um, but you can definitely tell which students have had it touch them and mm. which ones haven't. Um, the ones that haven't tend to get a little wide eyed and the ones that have are just like, uh, this again. So yeah. yeah, yeah, you can usually get a sense of it, but unfortunately our data collection just can't tell us. Sure. No, that's, uh, that's really good to hear that this is happening. So you're moving into, you know, for the listeners that don't know. So, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of the County, um, Clackamas County. So it's typically about southeast of Portland mm-hmm. where you're working. Um, and you mentioned, so like right now in terms of like the the substance, what kind of, what do you guys um, kind of hone in on one or two substances or is it just like a, a broad like alcohol, pills, vaping? Um, is there one that these, you know, the, the teenagers now prefer over the other? Uh, so it really depends on what the teachers want. They're kind of the ones that set, you know, they call us or email us and they say, Hey, you know, we really need a presentation on vaping. Could you come on this day and we'll go. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really teacher specific, but in terms of, you know, the presentations that we give, it's alcohol, nicotine, marijuana, and opiates. Yeah. Those are our big four. And a lot of that has to do with the way we're funded. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the grants that we get are substance specific. So, for instance, my position is funded half by a CARA grant, which is for opiates, and then half for a marijuana prevention grant uh, through the county. So, um, yeah, it really depends on the schools and the funding stream and everything. And 
unfortunately, something I think we're really not talking about enough here in Oregon is meth. Yeah. And something we're not doing enough prevention around is meth. Yeah. I would really, I hope to see more around that someday. It's hard because there's no MAT. There's not mm-hmm. really great treatment. And, you know, people on meth are, can be a little hard to deal with. And sure. It just, that's the really the thing that bums me out, you know, because I was just looking at some data for like Sandy and Estacada, which are two small towns sort of up towards Mount Hood. And the numbers for youth use out there of meth, they're really? like double or no, no, they're way more. Sorry. I think they're like 10 times the state average. Whoa. It's crazy. I can, <laughs> I can times. pull the numbers. I want to make sure I'm right, but it's, yeah. it's really high. Yeah. It's like the state average is like 0.7. And I think that the like, raid in sandy is like maybe it's not 10 times but it's like three and a half or four percent it's like wow way higher than you think it should be the same with iv drug use as well yeah it's at least double the state average up there so it's a problem it would be really interesting to like talk to a lot of the people who are in recovery from meth and like try to find out the most common path to meth because i i always remember like in middle school high school when you learn about drugs and in these classes you're always like yeah i might smoke weed i'm probably not gonna do meth yeah but then you, you know you're yeah. like like that's just what you see but but then you you hear about that and i mean 10 times like what what is that progression how do they lead into that and that's something mm-hmm. that i think i'd be fascinated to see i mean just to help on the prevent prevention side of it at least yeah. Um, I mean, what I can tell you is the data shows that it runs in families, you know, just like yeah. every other addiction. And I think that you end up with um, we've done some informant interviews out there and they've said that um, people tend to live in big family groups. And if the big family groups using meth, of course, the kids are going to use meth. That makes sense. The role model effect. Yeah. yeah. And if you're around it all the time from when you're a kid that's what you're going to do. You know, it's all about your environment. And those are the things that we're trying to kind of interrupt those cycles of addiction that we've all seen in our own families in the coalition. And my boss has got that as well in her family. I've got it in my family and figuring out like how to interrupt that and how to just like stop that cycle from happening because otherwise it's just going to continue on and on. That's crazy. You know, that's crazy to hear those kind of numbers. Um, you know, which reminds me of a book that I currently read called Tightrope from a, um, I believe it was a New York Times author, uh, Nick Kristoff and his wife wrote it, and they're actually he's from Yamhill. I read excerpts of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so basically, kind of going out. And what people forget about Oregon is everyone thinks Portland is Oregon. Mm-hmm. But when you drive 15, 20 miles outside of Portland, it's just basically rural Oregon. Yep. You know, minus Salem, Eugene, you know, Medford and Redmond and Bend. Everywhere else, it's, you know, rural Oregon. Um, And talking about kind of the, you know, how over years, um, how the economy has shifted in terms of, of, you know, the people out in rural Oregon who might not have the education and, and that family who, you know, when they get to high school, they might not, they might not have that role model of, you know, parent, you know, going to college and then, you know, getting a job. Um, you know, where back in the day it was, you could have a high school education, but have a good, uh, you know, means, um, you know, working in the factory, uh, providing for your family, buying a house and stuff. And and today that's just so hard to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and those, you know, those jobs are, are not there anymore. Um, which we've seen and you know, those, like, I think he mentioned like a quarter, 
quarter of his uh, school bus that he wrote, you know, the, the school bus that he wrote on daily, a quarter of the kids um, have died from like alcohol, drug abuse, obesity, um, suicide, you know, just those factors. And it's just astonishing because you just go, God, that's only 10 miles outside the city. Yeah, it's and, grim. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really interesting, the population dynamics in this state. And mm -hmm. I mean, it, you see it pretty much all over the country with, you know, the large urban centers tending to have a little bit more voting power yep. versus the more rural areas who feel really disenfranchised mm -hmm. and left behind. And frankly, I think they're justified in that if you look at services, if you look at jobs, if you look at medical care, mm -hmm. so many <clears throat> factors, rural Oregon is lagging so yeah. hard. And that's part of what a lot of the bills this session were trying mm -hmm. to address, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but if you look at it in terms of population, um, and if you look at it, the walkout in terms of population, especially um, the Oregon legislative walkout is currently in its second or third day, I believe. Um, so nothing is getting passed in the Oregon legislature at the moment uh, because 11 Republicans have left uh, Salem and are refusing to come back. And for listeners uh, that don't know, what's the reason behind that? Uh, so basically it has to do with cap and trade. So... Um, that's the climate bill that Democrats have been trying to pass for the last several years that would um, essentially create a system where um, businesses had to buy and sell their carbon emissions. And unfortunately, despite really pretty substantial changes to the text of the bill, lots of amendments and completely exempting rural Oregon from all of the tax increases on gasoline, all the fuel price increases, Basically, any kind of financial impact that was going to happen in rural Oregon has been taken out of the bill now. Unfortunately, it's such a divisive issue and it's mm. something they've both both sides have just come up to this point with this bill where if either one backs down, they're going to look weak and it's going to look like they lost. And so nobody's backing down. Yeah. And, you know, as we get into the, the policy that we'll talk about or some of the policies uh, that you brought along, you know, it's, it's frustrating you know, especially as taxpayers and we see it, you know, every day, nationally, locally, things like that, you know, that they can't get back to work um, and, you know, get along in terms of moving other policies forward. Because, you know, again, like when we're at Advocacy Day and um, Mike Marshall, you know, says seven people are going to die today, seven people are going to die tomorrow, the following day from addiction, alcohol and opiates, meth, whatever it may be, all the, you know, different types of drugs and it's frustrating that they can't get together to pass these bills that need to get passed to start saving lives. Yeah. Um, and I know when we talked down at Advocacy Day, uh, there was a few bills that you wanted to touch on um, that are very important. Um, and I know Bill 4040, uh, I want you to explain, because um, uh, we did talk to a, a couple people down there about that, and it was astonishing. Um, so, you know, if we want to go into the policy side now, the fun side, um, and why you're at Clackamas County and, and sounds like your passion. Um, what were some of the bills that you were hoping would get passed, you know, during the short, short session, this short session this year? Uh, so there's a few things that I was really, really excited about um, that looks like are not going to happen. And as you mentioned, 4040 is one of them. So basically that is a program or a bill that is going to expand a program created in Columbia County called Family Treatment Court to five other counties, including Clackamas County that I work in. Um, and the Family Treatment Court program is really innovative. It's cost effective. It is 
um, better for families, better for children, and it saves so much stress for the uh, child protection system, which, as everybody here is well aware, Mm -hmm. is incredibly overtaxed. So basically what the Columbia County program does is they have a judge and then they take people who are uh, being arrested for different types of kind of drug-related crimes, so possession or um, intent to distribute. And instead of sending them to jail, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, the quick and easy solution, but overall not cost-effective, not effective for preventing recidivism and not a great support for recovery, they take them into family treatment court and they say, okay, you need to get sober. You need to go to this many meetings a week. You need to go to parenting classes. We're going to come to your house. We're going to make sure it's safe. And we're going to drug test you every week. And it's really strict. And mm-hmm. the so that's the carrot. And then the stick is obviously if you mess up, you're going to send you to jail. Sure. And it's been shown. They've done studies on it. It's way more effective for getting people actually into recovery instead of just sober and then relapsing and then sober and then relapsing. And it's way better for families as well, because the data shows that family separation, especially with a parent being incarcerated, is just really, really bad for kids and for child welfare. And the more we can keep families together and get families working better instead of breaking them up and sending kids to foster homes and sending parents to jail, we're going to have stronger communities no matter what. And so... This bill was just really, really, really exciting for me um, just because I think it's a great idea. It seems like such a no-brainer. It's Mm -hmm. such a small amount of money, too. It's like under a million and a half to put this thing into five counties versus one day of incarceration, I think, is or one year of incarceration, I think, is like $36,000 in Oregon. So it would just it saves so much money in the long run. Yeah. And it's just great idea it's a great chance for Oregon to lead on something like this instead of being in almost last place <laughs> yep um no that's a great bill because and what you know what scares me um and you look at the last 20 20 plus years of you know the opioid epidemic you know still with alcohol going on um still the number one cause of death um you know with what eighty eight thousand last year what what scares me is is you know how many parents we have lost to, you know, addiction and young kids, um, having to go into the foster care and, and just getting their whole life broken up and, you know, or being taken away and what trauma that does to them. And what scares me is what does that trauma look like in 10, 15, 20 years? And does that lead to addiction that just basically keeps this whole epidemic spiraling out of control for another 30 years? And, you know, so that's, you know, and after we talked to those people down at Salem, it was just so eye-opening, especially from a mother who, who went through the experience having her kids taken away. Now has successfully got them back. It just, um, it just scares the hell out of me. And so this is a wonderful, wonderful thing, as you mentioned, to lead on in Oregon, and to keep families together. You know, parents, kids, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I just. And I don't think I don't think people understand how many kids are in foster care now because of addiction. Yeah, it's, it's pretty staggering. Yeah. And it's such a load on the system that's already got so much to deal with. But, yeah. you know, we were talking earlier about things, how to break the cycle of addiction, mm-hmm. the intergenerational cycle of it. And yeah. this is something that is what it's aiming to do, yeah. essentially. And it's an actual concrete, well thought out, well planned, well written 
piece of legislation that could make a pretty big difference, at least in these five counties. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we'll see. Time yeah. will tell. <laughs> Uh, so that was Bill 4040, if anybody's interested. Um, and then were there any other policies that, you know, you really wanted, you know, somehow to be pushed through uh, during this short session or? Yeah, there's yeah, lots. There's lots. <laughs> no, your, I've well, got like my top, top three. three. Yeah. All right, we'll do that. Um, so another one that was really just a smart bill, I think personally, and the data backs up is actually about Kratom. Mm -hmm. which if folks don't know, Kratom is a plant from Southeast Asia that gets powdered and is on the subjects of concern list from the DEA, but is actually not illegal federally. And you can usually buy it at like head shops or at Mm -hmm. convenience stores. And it has similar effects to opiates, but most places don't drug test for it. So obviously it's gotten to be quite popular, um, but it's really unregulated. So... I think the minimum age is 18 if they check at all and to buy and um, nobody knows what's in it really. That's what I was going to ask. So that's what it sounds like. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of this big controversy around Kratom, I don't know what it really is either, but is just the unregulation of it and not knowing what's inside of it. So when you buy a packet, it's like, what are you getting? Yeah, okay. totally. So basically, this is House Bill 4013, and it would put in like testing requirements, age restrictions. Um, there would be, uh, it'd be illegal to put adulterants in it, so anything but the actual powdered plant. And it has mechanisms for checking and enforcing those rules as well. Um, but the thing about it is, I don't know if you guys heard about the salmonella outbreak with it in 2018, but there was a pretty big salmonella outbreak that was traced back to um, Kratom because it's not one that you heat up or anything. You just ingest it. Usually people mix it with water or Mm -hmm. tea or whatever they want and drink it. Um, But because it's not cooked, the salmonella was just hanging out in there. And I think six or seven people were sick across the country with salmonella from Kratom. So this is in response to that. So if we back up real quick, so, um, well, so let's back up. And so what's the main reason why people take Kratom? Uh, to get high. high it's okay. a drug. Yeah. yeah. It, um, the effects change depending on how much you take. Mm-hmm. So if you take a high dose, it's going to be a little bit different than if you take a lower dose. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of anecdotal evidence out there that people are using it for opioid withdrawal mm-hmm. and as an opioid replacement therapy instead of something I like see, methadone yeah. or suboxone. And it's cheaper. It's easier to get. You don't have to get a doctor with a waiver. You can just Mm -hmm. walk into a convenience store, buy it, put it in a bottle of water and drink it and you feel better. So, and then when you say, mention a salmonella outbreak, how does that occur with a plant-based drug? Uh, So, like I said, it's not cooked. So Mm -hmm. the plant is taken off the bush, dried, Mm -hmm. powdered, and then packaged and shipped. And somewhere in that supply chain, probably some kind of either person not washing their hands I see. Okay. or a piece of equipment that was covered in, hadn't been cleaned properly or something like that. Salmonella got into a whole batch and um, the FDA recalled it and it was a whole thing. And so this is basically making sure that that's not going to happen in Oregon. Okay. And it's also making sure that kids aren't able to get their hands on this stuff as well, which is very, very important and really central to the work that we do. Now, is this, is this a drug that, um, statewide, like the county, you know, local officials, county officials are worried about in terms of addiction? Uh, I haven't heard it come up a lot. 
And it's another one of those sort of black hole drugs where they it's sort of illegal. Nobody's really studying it. And so we just mm. don't know. Okay. Um, people don't seem to be super concerned about it now. It's still we're more on the heroin, opiates, sure. fentanyl side of things. But it's... I mean, it's out there and it's something that kids should definitely not be using. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I haven't heard about kids using it. I've mostly heard about older um, people who had previously had an opiate addiction using it yeah. to kind of combat the withdrawal feelings that they get. Sure, that makes sense. Um, it's also pretty hard to OD on as well, um, just because of the form that it comes in. It's not concentrated. Um, it's sort of like the opium of heroin or of opiates. So it's really, really um, to take a lot of it to feel anything. And it also really will upset your stomach. I've seen some reports of people, you know, feeling really nauseous after taking it. And so I think that like the risk for people dying of it is really low, honestly, unless they come out with like a supercharged, like super concentrated version. But mm -hmm. as it stands right now, in terms of like drugs of abuse being super, super harmful or deadly, I think that we have bigger fish to fry. I see. And then, so what's your third? Uh, so there's a kind of a pair of bills um, that are coming through that's more kind of high-level statewide policy research. Mm -hmm. And one of those is the adoption of the strategic plan. Um, so that's Senate Bill 1553. And that would essentially take this report that Oregon Recovers has been pushing really, really hard to have written um, mm -hmm. and is finally done, which is super exciting. The report is finished. Um, but this would basically, um, it's a legislative action to adopt this plan statewide. And then from there, um, it would create a collaboration with different stakeholder groups to see where the gaps are. And then instead of moving on, like from this reporting stage of like, this is the problem. It's what do we need to start addressing some of these issues and what are the concrete solutions that we can do that will actually start filling the gaps in the system. And unfortunately it is also stalled at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but it would commission another report that would be like, this is what we can do and this is how we get there. So it'd be yeah. more of a roadmap style thing. Um, with the priorities being um, comprehensive legislative fixes and concrete steps to reduce barriers to treatment. It also declares an emergency, which would be um, really beneficial, I think, in terms of reducing the stigma around addiction and also just bringing it into the public consciousness here in Oregon, mm -hmm. as Oregon Recovers has been trying to do and has done so effectively. Um, and then the last one was the, um, basically it's around youth prevention and um, it directs the director of Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission to work with the director of the Oregon Health Authority and um, a few other stakeholders to develop strategies to address substance use among school-aged children and youth and then to commission a report that would be due in November. Um, basically identifying what's out there and um, what where the gaps are. Again, just sort of these initial planning steps mm -hmm. to make sure that we're not just throwing money in a problem with no plan. Because yeah. that doesn't make sense <laughs> either. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about youth and and the prevention programs, is there is there a program out there now in the U.S. Uh, or I guess maybe even um, uh, 
somewhere in North America or in Europe or somewhere else that is really working um, to help prevent uh, substances among, amongst youth? Uh, so off the top of my head, there's been a push in Iceland. Uh, shockingly, Iceland is amazing. Um, basically, that has reduced youth drinking and they didn't have a huge problem with substances in Iceland other than mm-hmm. alcohol, but they had a pretty major issue with um, what we would consider to be underage drinking, but yeah. they just consider to be teenagers drinking. And what they did was they did this combination of investment into education. Mm-hmm. And so making sure that they know that um, really accurate information is accessible. It's out there. It's in their faces all the time. But then they also paired it with this piece of creating a lot of other things to do. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, um, teens tend to use drugs when they're bored, when they don't have anything else to do, when yeah. they don't have much else going on. And so if you can get kids into other activities, uh, whether that be summer camps or sports or art class or whatever they're into that's not drugs, get them into that um, because it keeps them busy and they saw their rates plummet. But they did take a lot of money mm-hmm. and investment into infrastructure and instructors and space and all that on the part of the government. Just making sure that every kid had a safe and engaging place to be after school was really 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 effective at getting yeah. their rates down i think that's a great idea because i mean if if you're gonna experiment with drugs when if you have something you have to do like following that you you really realize how much it actually affects you mm-hmm. and then you almost feel bad about it you're like oh, i don't want like i look like shit like i was trying to play sports and i couldn't couldn't catch the ball i yeah. usually catch the ball every time i'm the best kid on the team at least i think that you know <laughs> but like but you recognize that and it's a more like a softer approach to realizing the effects of the drugs. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally get that. And I, that seems like yeah. a really, like a, not a simple solution, but like an obtainable solution yep. for the youth of America. Yeah. 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 And but. that's part of the work that we're doing as well is, you know, we have that after school program and then we run uh, summer camps all summer, actually. Um, so we're running one that's a youth photo voice. So that's a program that's been developed um it's used all over the world and essentially photo voice. Yeah. Oh. So it gives um, kids cameras and asks them to document their communities essentially. Cool. I like that. And so As a we, photographer, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> you should come, you yeah, should come right? and pres- hang out with us this That's summer. Cool. It's a really good time. Um, but we take them on field trips. A lot of the kids we work with have actually never been outside of like North Clackamas. Um, super common. Um, oh. And so we take them to Portland when we can, we sometimes take them to the beach. We try and get them out and about and in the community. And then they do um, a project that's around social action as well. Um, so they're getting like art skills and they're getting experience with cameras and computers and photography. And then they're also getting this chance to make this impact in their community. That's really cool. So yeah, we run that for four weeks in the summer. And then this summer um, we have received a little bit of funding to actually start a new program that I'm running. Uh, it's going to be our advocacy summer camp. And that's going to be a week long. It's going to be five days and it's going to be nothing but like, this is how you make change. And we're going to be talking to people who are in government and artists and all these different kinds of people who are movers and shakers mm-hmm. and just trying to get a group of kids together that really is fired up and inspired and wants to make change, but just doesn't quite have the tools or the knowledge. And we're just going to take all all of these connections that we have and all this passion that I have for advocacy work 
and we're going to do just a five day like advocacy boot camp um, for teens. And so at the end, they'll have a plan to take out and implement in the world if they so choose um, around an issue of their choice. That's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, we're trying to trying to innovate in the summer <laughs> camp programming department as well. Yeah, well, but. I mean, you have to. I mean, you know, especially with you know parents being at work and there's a lot of free time for kids if they ain't working, exactly. yep. sit around and and kind of you know twiddle their thumbs. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, idle hands, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And what was that first program called? Photo Voice. Yes. Yeah, that's... Photo Voice. Um, it's like I said, it's been used all over the world. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, you can find some of the books of the. Uh, different photos that have been taken through different programs and yeah sure. definitely check it out it's really neat cool yeah um gosh i'm just trying to think of anything else that uh we talked to i got i got yeah idea. please do um because when you first started talking about the school programs i, I imagine there's going to be parents who listen to this mm-hmm. i think like some practical tips on like how to actually talk to your kids about it in a way that they'll be more receptive to like the, Great the question. information you're saying um, since you guys are doing that. Like what, what would you say as advice to parents? Um, I would just, I think the best advice is just talk to your kid, you know, don't wait to have those conversations, start having them when they're younger in fourth, fifth grade. It's your right as a parent. It's your responsibility as a parent. Uh, a lot of times teachers won't really go into it just because they're so young. But if your kid's ready to know about this stuff, just talk to them and be like, you know, this is what this is. This is what it does to your brain. And, mm-hmm. you know, the longer you wait, the better off you're going to be. But just do you make, provide, sorry to cut you off. Do you provide those tools like online somewhere? Uh, we have a website mm-hmm. um, that's vibrantfuturecoalition.org. Um, there are some tools for parents on there. Um, and we do pretty regular workshops as well. Um, so people can come uh, and get some advice about this stuff. But my best advice would just be ha- maintaining regular check-ins with your kid. You know, mm. how's it been going in school? You know, how are your friends doing? Because asking about friends and friends' drug use is um, actually one of the best indicators for whether or not a kid's going to start experimenting or not. If all mm. their friends are experimenting, they're probably going to start yeah. experimenting too. So just knowing you know, who your kid's hanging out with, where they are and letting them have independence, but also making sure that there is a little bit of monitoring going on. Um, but just, you know, being open and honest and especially if you're a parent in recovery, being open and honest about your own struggles, I think is super important, um, because of that generational statistics about how much Mm -hmm. more likely people with substance abuse disorder and their family are to develop it themselves. I think you owe it to your kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, so if a, and if uh, a teenager is going through something um, or they're seeing something, you know, with their parents um, or they, they're thinking about it, but they don't want to go to their parents to tell them, is there a good place that you know of, like, say, like in Clackamas County, within the high schools and stuff, I, I guess beyond the counselors um, that you would recommend? Uh, totally. Um, so as I mentioned, I worked on the youth line for three years. I think they do incredible work. They have, um, teens that are on call from four to 10 every day. And this Uh, is the lines for life, right? Yeah. It's the lines for life youth line. Um, and they have calling, texting and chatting. So if you are uncomfortable going to a school counselor, Mm -hmm. uh, they'd be one of my first stops because they're there to listen without judgment and they're also able to refer you to resources if you need 
But within Clackamas County, um, there's a few really amazing places that offer peer support uh, to teenagers. And one of them is actually our PreventNet program that we have through Northwest Family Services. That's um, They tend to be people in their 20s who work in the schools and are there basically to do wraparound services. So that means start to finish. What does this kid need mm-hmm. in order to be successful? And they have caseloads. They meet with kids regularly. They meet with them through the summers. And they are not affiliated with, or they're sort of affiliated with the school, but they're not school counselors. They're outside people who are there to advocate and to support youth who are going through a little bit of a hard time, Um, especially youth who've been affected by substance use. Yeah. Um, So those are great. And also, of course, Youth Era has amazing programming and peer support available after school as well. Um, They have a drop-in center that's just right near Milwaukee High School. And they have peer support workers there every day. They have really, really cool amenities like a VR room and a computer lab. (laughs) And it's just it's a good place to be. And I think it's just a really great community of teens and young adults who are wanting to stay sober and Mm -hmm. wanting to just enjoy each other and have fun and get each other through those tough times. So, yeah, if you're in Clackamas County, check out Euthera for sure. Okay, It seems like these resources like they're great for kids but that's because we like are at an age where we understand like the true purpose behind it i know that like when you're a kid like the two things that you're most afraid of is a get in trouble or like b being a snitch no one no one wants their friends to get in trouble or but i think there is like a lot of value to that practical advice about if you do get confronted how do you handle that situation and i don't think a lot of kids know how to answer that or respond to that so, I mean, as someone, again, at our age, it's, it almost seems like it'd be best to kind of promote those aspects of it. Like, no one's getting in trouble. You're not ratting anyone out. But if you want to know how to handle these situations, this is a phone phone line you can call. Yeah. And with Youthline, it's completely confidential yeah. as well. And they're not going to call your parents. They're not going to call your school. Um, there are a few cases um, because the supervisors are mandatory reporters where they have to break the confidentiality. Um, just because that's how the news goes when you're working with kids. I'm a mandatory reporter as well. Um, but with very few exceptions and the exceptions being harming yourself or others or some kind of abuse, um, they will not tell and they were just going to support you and connect you with where you need to be. Um, so I wouldn't, yeah, don't worry about snitching on the youth line. That's not going to happen. It would be interesting <laughs> if that was almost something that, like, if these organizations went to schools and, I mean, no, this is a crazy idea, but if they actually, like, talk to each kid one-on-one, quick, like, five-minute conversation, like, if you, every time you enter seventh grade, you have that conversation, a one-on-one where you can be open and honest for those five minutes, I don't know, I'm just spitballing yeah. ideas, but, yeah. Sure. Something yeah. that pops in my head. Yeah, well, there needs to be a lot more resources available. Um, It sounds like there's some wonderful resources out there right now. Uh, And like you mentioned, you know, that kind of one-on-one time. So Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because I go back to that point of like snitching and stuff or getting in trouble. That's a big thing. Yeah, if you get your buddies in trouble, like that's your whole social life ruined in in high school. You know what I mean? A matter of seconds. Yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you so glad? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? We're past that. Oh, thank God. No, yeah, that's, you know, you've provided some very, very uh, useful tips today and advice um, and talked about policy and it's wonderful to to see. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, you're 23. Four. 24. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it's wonderful to see that, you know, how young you are and doing the work that you're doing and, and making a big impact in our community. It's, it's really cool to see. Yeah. I am just glad that I get to do work that actually serves the place I live. I feel really fortunate every day that this is the job I get to wake up and do. And, you know, I get to actually work with people who have had really fascinating, hard, beautiful mm-hmm. lives every day. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything that you do and all the information and advice and tips that you provided today. So, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. And if you have uh, any questions about our programming or want more information about Vibrant Future and what we do, our website is www.vibrantfuture.org. And there's contact info for all of us there, especially if you live in the North Clackamas or East Multnomah County areas. We would love to see you at one of our events. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, everyone. We are really excited here at Henry's Uncle. We have formed a partnership with the Cash App. The Cash App is an app that empowers people to control their own finances. Same here at Henry's Uncle, where we want to empower people to share their own experiences around their addiction. Uh, when you download the Cash App, enter the referral code Henry's Uncle. You get $5, Henry's Uncle gets $5. It's a win-win for everyone. You can download the Cash App on your Apple or Android device. Thank you for listening to the Henry's Uncle podcast. Please take a second to like, subscribe, or rate us. But more importantly, please share this podcast with anyone who may be interested in the topics discussed so they know they are not alone. As always, at Henry's Uncle, you are loved, never judged.